You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. It says in Romans 8, verse 28, we're going to start there. He says, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan. And this is what his perfect plan consists of, of bringing good into our lives. God has a plan to bring good into your life. He said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I have a plan for you, a plan for good, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope or hope in a future. And so God's like, man, I got a plan and my plan is always good. He said, every good thing in your life comes from God. That he neither tempts you with evil nor is he tempted by evil. He doesn't come to harm you. He comes to bless you. And so, and to be good to you. The, the question is, do we want to cooperate with him or not? He wants to do that, but then we get a choice. He's already chosen. He's saying, man, I want to do good towards you. Now, we get to choose if we, if we allow that good in our lives. He doesn't force his will upon us. It's something we have to accept. Just like Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. We have to submit our will to his will and, and then trust that he has a good plan, that he has a good plan. Paul here, say Paul here says, I'm convinced that every detail of our lives, every detail is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. That includes when, when Satan tries to bring evil or we blow it and we sin and we do something evil or someone else does something evil to us or a nation or a people or whatever, something bad happens to us. He said, I'll even take that if you'll trust me. I'll take that and I'll weave it into something good. I'll make it so I'll turn it around for good in your life. And then he says this in verse 29, for he knew all about us before we were born and he destined us, everybody say destined, destined. us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Meaning we'll become like him in the sense that when we're in heaven and, and, and after Jesus uh, uh, comes back and, and there's a rapture uh, and there's a second coming, that all the people in heaven will have a glorified body like Jesus. We'll have our bodies back, except they'll look better. Praise the Lord. You know, some people think because Jesus died at 33 that we'll get a 33-year-old body back. Some of you that aren't 33 are like, nah, I question now. I want 23. But when you're, when you're 59, you'll think 33 is good. But anyway, however that's going to look, it's going to be really good. And that's, that's what he means. We'll, we'll look like him. We'll be like him. And so then he goes on to say, I think my page turned here. He goes on to say, uh, having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he glorified with his son. What does he mean by that? You know, there's all kinds of confusion about uh, predestination and God's sovereignty and free will choice. But guys, those things aren't enemies. They go together. God's saying, I predestined you to hear the gospel. I predestined you. I chose to save your life. And he said this, I desire that all people come to the knowledge of him. That's his desire. That's his choice that everyone does. And so what happens in his sovereignty, he chose you to be sitting right here, right now. 
He chose you to be sitting or where you, wherever you were in children's church, here in this church, someplace else, wherever you were. He chose you to hear about Jesus. And now in his sovereignty, he chose you to hear. Now in your free will, you get to choose whether you receive it or not. And, his, and our free will and his sovereignty work together. Whether you realize it or not, you were chosen to be listening online. And thank you for, for joining us today. And you were chosen to be in this room today. God predestined you to hear about Jesus. Wherever you heard about him, he predestined you to be there. He guided and directs your path right there because he desires to save your life, to bless your life. And then he goes on to say this. So what does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me who then could ever stand against us? If God has already determined and said, hey, I'm for you. Another translation of that verse says, if God is for us, who could be against us? He said, if I've already chosen to be for you, man, who could possibly stand against God? Who can possibly stand against him? And he goes on to say, for God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from you, uh, from us, anything else he has to give. He said, man, if in my love, if I gave you my only begotten son, I won't withhold anything else. I won't withhold anything else. He goes on to say this in verse 35. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder the omnipotent love, even though it is written. All day long we face death, death threats. For your sake, God, we are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet, even in the midst of all this stuff happening, all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors and has demonstrated his love. And, and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Over everything. I want you to understand, God has chosen you to hear his word. He's chosen you. Now you get a choice. You get to choose whether you hear it and listen to it uh, uh, and obey it, act on it, receive it or not. But those that do, man, God has a plan. He has a destiny for you. He has a destiny for every human being. Every, he has a purpose for everybody. And without that purpose, you never live your life fully. You'll never live it. I was the other day, I was showing my grandson how I, you know, I've got, I, I you know, I, I'm kind of like, you know, God said uh, a righteous man is good to animals, good to, good to other, other uh, insects and stuff like that. But I always say they can live as long as they don't live in my house and in my yard. They can live in the fields. They can live anywhere else. And I'm living in my, so, you know, I get these ants and once I get one ant pile, it's like they just spread, man, they're everywhere. And, I start, and then they start creeping up into my garage. and So I go and I, I put this little ant killer around and they pick it up and they take it and feed it to the queen. The queen dies, they all die. And I was showing my grandson the other day. I said, look, all these ants are, are curled up around that hole because it takes about three or four days and then they all die. They just die. They cease to exist just because that queen died. Why? Because they don't have a purpose. And when ants don't have a purpose... When that queen dies, they just all, they just curl up. It's crazy. They curl up and just cease to live. And that, 
guys, that's a, that's a, the Bible says consider the ant. And he talks about how an ant doesn't have a supervisor, but he works really hard. But it's not just about the work of the ant. It's the purpose. When ants have a purpose, man, they'll take over everything. I mean, they're the littlest of creature, but man, they could, <laughs> they'll take over everything. I don't care if elephants live there. The ants will live there too. I mean, they'll dominate, man. They'll control. Ants, man, because when they have a purpose, they live. And guys, that's, that's a metaphor for us. That's a story told to us. Without purpose, we never truly live this life. And only God can give us our purpose. It's always amazing to me that people end up doing, they're, they're already attracted to because God said, train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. That word train means, it, it literally means the way they're bent, the way they're bent. People have a bend to them. Like some kids like science. Some kids are great in math and some kids can't get two plus two equals four. But that, yet they can read a book. You know, they, they're second grade, they read at a 12th grade level. I mean, um, everybody, some kids, man, school is like, pfft, I'd rather play in the dirt, use a hammer, use a saw. I'd rather drive a tractor. You know, I'd rather be in a bulldozer. I mean, everybody has these bents. Kids are bent. People are bent towards medical stuff, or they want to just help people, or they're good counselors. They have these bends to them. And God doesn't mean that we tell our children what to do. It says when we recognize that bent, we, we, we help them get there. And so God has created every one of us with a purpose, a destiny, and we have a bend to us. We have a, we're attracted to this thing. We're attracted to that thing. It's amazing to me how my kids are. Cody's with us today, and I know he's going to hate this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, he's, he should be used to it by now. But Cody, when he was little, when he was five years old, when they graduate kindergarten, they have to say what they're going to do. So his mama said, you know, what, what are you going to be when you grow up? He said, I'm going to guard our house, and I'm going to live with you guys, and I'm going to sleep in your bed. I'm like, well, what happens when you get a wife? He said, well, I'll just go sleep in there. I said, no, you're not. You're not only not going to sleep in my bed, you're not going to live in my house. But he always wanted to protect. He always had it in his heart. He always protected his little brothers. He's the best big brother. I mean, he's awesome at it. He's incredible at it. They all recognize it. They all recognize his leadership and his heart for them. And he's always had that. And you know, what is he doing? He's working for the Ch Chavis County Sheriff's Department. I mean, listen. Listen, he had a bent, he had a bent to protect, a bent to care, a bent to do certain things, and man, he's following that. I have another son that always wanted to be in the army, and it didn't look like that was going to happen, but you know what he's doing right now? He's about to join the army. I have another one in the army. I mean, guys, people have bends to them. They have this, they have this attraction, and it's amazing to me how many people, they'll, they'll do what they're attracted to do, and they'll, but they don't know why they're doing it. They don't know that God has a purpose on it, and they don't have this. They don't have God's touch on it because they don't recognize it's from God or accept God as the one that gives them their true purpose. And when God's touch is not on it, you can be miserable at it, even something you're good at. When God's touch is not on it. God wants to put his touch on our life. I, I like this. King David, there was a group of his men that served him. And it said they everywhere they went, and they went into this certain city, but everywhere they went, people would say, Israelites, Jews, and non-Jews, everywhere they went, they would say, these men have the touch of God on them. 
Everywhere they went, they would say, these men have the touch of God on them. When they fought, they, had to, they were crazy warriors. I mean, they were crazy warriors. They would do supernatural stuff as warriors. But even in just their personal life, how they carried themselves, people would say, the touch of God is on them. The touch of God is on them. Do you know what? God wants to say that about you, and he wants others to say that about you, that when you go to work, the touch of God is on you. When you're at home, the touch of God is on you. He wants your children to say, man, my, my parents, man, they're touched by God. He want, I mean, everywhere we go, when we're out, just around, people just recognize and go, man, I can tell you're a Christian. There's something about you. What's, what is up with you? Because they can sense and they can feel, even non-believers, that there's a touch on us. There's something on us that's not on them. And that's the touch of God on us. The touch of God on us. That's what God wants to do. He wants us all to have his touch so that anywhere you go, and no matter who you're around, they recognize it. Not because you beat them over the head with a Bible, just by how you live, how what your countenance is like, how you treat people, how you talk to people, how, what happens in those conversations, even when they're rude to you, how you take stands, how you stand up and be counted, how you, how you uh, create peace in certain situations, how you live your life, how you're a mama, a daddy, a son, a daughter, a person. He wants people to know that you're touched by, that you're touched by him. He wants to put your touch, and, and, and you have that touch when you recognize, when you recognize that God has a plan and a destiny and a purpose for you, and you're living that purpose. I, I once had, a, I once had a, a person I met. She was a waitress. She attended our church, and she was a waitress. She was the best waitress I ever had. And I mean, I, I would go into this place to eat, and I'd say, golly, she's an incredible waitress. I wondered, does she just treat us like that because she goes to church here, uh, or does she treat everybody? So, man, I would watch her, tr how she treated everybody. And I told Julie, I went home and told Julie one time, I said, okay. I said, I'm going to offer her a job. I, we needed a, another secretary. She'd never been anything like that. I said, but I'm going to offer a job, see if she'll take it. And so I was talking to her. I said, you got a minute? There was no one else in the restaurant. I said, you got a minute? She said, yes. So she sat down for a second with us, and I said, hey, I want to hire you for the church. I want to hire you to work for the church. You know what she did? She cried. She said, what would I be doing? I said, you'd be a secretary. She goes, oh, my gosh. She said, my whole life, since I was a little girl, I always played like I worked in the office. She said, I've always wanted to work in an office, but I don't have, the, I don't have any training or skill or anything like that. And I said, oh, I can teach you that stuff, but what I can't teach you is what you already know how to do, and that's how to treat people and serve. And you know what? She got to live that dream, and she's, she got hired at a higher level of that. And she's, I mean, she's knocking it out of the park, working in the office. She's never gone backwards. She's always gone forward. Amen. Isn't God good? Destiny moments. Things happening. Listen, I recognized the touch of God on her life when she was waiting those tables. You never know. I tell young people all the time when they're rude or they don't get good customer service at a counter, I always say, you never know who you're talking to. Yep. Never know who you're talking to. I told one of our other staff, their daughter worked at Walmart, and I would watch her. She worked at checkout. She was the best checkout person I'd ever seen at Walmart. Since then, I haven't seen anybody better. She was incredible at it. 
I mean friendly, kind, funny. Didn't matter how they treated her. She's treated them like King Jellybean, Queen Jellybean. And I said, I told her mama, I said, man, if I had a place for her, I'd hire her right now. Oh, she, her mama laughed and said, somebody, two people have already offered her a job. They offered her a job at a bank, and then they offered her a job at property management. She took the property management job. They hired her right out of there for a lot more money. You know what? She's married to a contractor right now. And you know what they do? They build stuff. They have properties. They do stuff. It's amazing how God was preparing her whole life in that moment because she had the touch of God on her working at Walmart checking people out. You don't know when your destiny moment's going to happen. You don't know when opportunity is going to arise. That's why you just, you got you to gotta live with that touch and live on purpose and trust God that he loves you. Listen, if he says he loves you as a son and daughter in this scripture, he said he loved you as an enemy. He said, when you were my enemy, I loved you. How much more does he love you as a son and daughter? And that's going to be vital. It's so interesting. Pastor Sean and I never talk. He talks about the loyal love of God in that, in, uh, for the tithes and offerings. And that's going to be key to where we're going with this. But I'm going to give you some even those. Even though Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, God kept his word and they had a child and built the whole nation. It's called the nation of Israel. It still exists today. Even though building an ark was unreasonable. They mocked Noah for building an ark. Matter of fact, most people believe they'd never even seen a boat before. They didn't have any floods. The water wasn't the same as it was now. So that, an ark was crazy. He built that ark for 125 years. That's how long it took him to build it. And people mocked him, made fun of him. His own family questioned his sanity. It was totally unreasonable. But when that door shut and that flood came, it saved him and his family. And God, once again, proved his faithfulness to mankind. Even though Satan stripped Job of everything, his children, his wife said to curse God and die and left him, stripped him of all his wealth, his finances, and eventually his health, Job stayed faithful to God because he believed God still loved him. And he ended up doubly blessed in life. Even though David was a small boy, at, at a little bitty 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy, had kill, he killed a giant and became a king. Even though Mary was a virgin in a small town, she was nobody and nothing. She birthed the Savior of the world. Even though uh, a boy had five loaves and two fish, Jesus took that and fed over 5,000 men, not including women and children. Even though they crucified our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. Even though Paul and the church were persecuted, news went around the world. Jesus, the Savior, went viral and spread to the whole world. The Bible's the number one book to ever be read and will ever be read. Amen. And people are saved all over the world. Even though we were all once sinners. God's love was so great for us. He sent Jesus to save our lives. Even though. Even though we were all his enemies. Even though. Even though a mustard seed's little. The Bible says a mustard seed of faith will move a mountain. Even though. Even he chooses the lowly. He says to confound the strong. The, the humble to confound the wise. He's, he, can, he chooses the weak to confound the strong so that people know, I've touched their lives. I've touched their lives. I've touched their lives. My family and I are still freaked out that God uses our lives the way he does. Amen. 
it still blows. It's, I'm still fascinated by how much God has loved my family, saved my family, what he's done in my family, that he saved my atheist father. That still rocks my world. The things he's used us to do and the thing, I, it's, it's crazy to me. I got invited to just preach at the Dream Center when Matthew Barnett came here. I, I worked at the Dream Center for a week and served and sat in that crowd with two people from Skid Row. I, I was in the crowd. Now I'm going to go preach there. Is that crazy? That's crazy cool. That's what God does when you get, grasp your purpose. And you understand how much he loves you. He loves you. You notice the description he gives of how much he loves you? Trials, tribulations, tough times, uh, punishment, being persecuted. I mean, it's all this ugly stuff. He, Jesus didn't say ugly stuff wasn't going to happen to us. He said there's going to be trouble in this world. He said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome it, and I've made you an overcomer. Why? Because he loves us. He'll be with us, though we walk through the shallow shadow of the valley of death. He said, I will fear no evil because I trust you. Your rod and your staff, they come. Comfort, guide, and protect me. And I'll, in the end, I'll eat a feast in the presence of my enemies. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's what God, he says, even though you walk through the valley, this is what is going to happen. Even though this has happened to you, this is what's going to happen. Crystal's testimony last week was incredible. Even though God tried to destroy her, tried to get her to worship Satan all her life, even though she stands a blood-bought woman of the Most High God, and now she's saving and rescuing those same children that she used to be in the system with. Even though, even though, even though you and where you come from and where you live and what you do, even though, man, if you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and his touches on your life, even though this happens, even though that happens, even though this good thing happens or this bad thing happens, even though promotion happens or you fail God and you sin or someone else fails you, even though the nation falls, even though Amen. the love of God will carry you further and far, farther than you ever, ever dreamed or imagined. He'll do things in your life. And every destiny is different. I was talking to one of my sons the other day, and I said, son, I, I already know. I was praying for you the other day, and God just showed me clearly what you're called to do. I said, do you know what it is? And he said, well, Dad, I've just always wanted to be a, a great husband and father. Amen. I said, that's exactly what he told me about you. I said, you'll have a profession that you're good at. He's already good at something. I said, you'll have a profession that you're really good at. It'll supply your needs, but you're calling is to be a great husband and father. He's going to raise me some good grandkids. <laughs> right? You never know what they'll be. Because all the calling on Abraham and Sarah was to be a godly mom and dad. That's it. That's all they were, that, that's all they were called to do. How insignificant is that in people's eyes? How significant is that in God's eyes? Amen. I want to give you seven things over the next two Sundays, starting today. I'm going to give you seven things that I want to encourage you to do. Number one, we have to step out in faith. We have to step out in faith. In Matthew 14, 27 to 28, all the way down to 32, it talks about Peter stepping out of the boat. Uh, Pastor Sean reminded me today of what one of our mentors, his name was Kenneth Haggins, old country boy from Texas, he used to say, I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry person sitting in the boat. Amen. You know, what is the point? Get out of the boat. Sometimes you got to step out in faith. 
Even when the storm's raging, you got to step out in faith. Matter of fact, that's a great time to step out in faith and trust God. There was a storm, and there, it was hitting, rocking their boat, going to sink it. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. And Peter yells, yells that, if it's you, call me out. Didn't leave Jesus much choice, right? Because it was him. What does he go say? It's not me. No. He said, okay, come on. And Peter got out and walked on the water. And a lot of people talk about him sinking. Ah, man, I, I want to talk about him stepping out of the boat. There was a bunch of dry boat sitters. He might have got sunk later, might have gotten down and sunk. And Jesus rebuked and said, oh, you have little faith. You know why he said He's like, you were already doing it, boy. Come on. You were already walking on water. Why would you doubt now? But I'd rather be a wet water walker. I'd rather be in the game, on the field, trying my best, beat up, bloody, beat down. I don't care what the circumstances are. I'd rather be living life to the full than sitting back in the stands and doing nothing. Number one, you have to step out in faith. You have to step out in faith. I love Joshua Man, oh, Joshua, God said, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And so the first thing he tells Joshua to do, he says, tell the priest to get the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, the touch of God on their lives, and step into the Jordan River. The Jordan River was flooded. It's wider than this building. It's, it, when it's flooded, it's huge, and it's uncrossable by people and oxen and carts and stuff like that. So he says, you guys get the Ark. We're crossing today. Well, he said, he said, step in the water ankle deep. And they got in ankle deep. And he, I mean, he's giving them these instructions. And there's, the only guarantee he's got is God said, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. So he's like, okay, he did this once. Oh, I hope he does it again. And so they stepped in the water. What happened? The Jordan River parted, and they crossed over on dry land into the promised land. Then the next assignment he gets, he faces the walls of Jericho, which were massive. They did chariot races on top of these walls. They were so massive, people worshipped them at the time. And Jericho, they thought Jericho was impenetrable. And it was by human effort. He said, okay, I want you to, there's the battle plan. Walk around this thing seven times. And on the seventh day, yell at it. That usually gets you killed in a battle. You ever see those movies, people like, ah! And someone just goes, boom, and just drops them, right? That's pretty much what usually happens. But that's not what happened this day. Why? Because the touch of God was on them. When God's touch is on you, you do things that seem, man, unlikely people in unlikely places, and stuff just starts happening. They yelled at the walls, and the walls fell. What man couldn't do, God could do. But they had to step out in faith to see it happen. You don't see it, then believe it. Let me say it again. Faith isn't that you see it, then you believe it. My brother, when we were little, my brother, Pastor Steve, man, we jump off houses. We did all kinds of stuff, but I always went first. He would always say, you go first. He knew I'd do it too. He wanted to see if I got hurt. If I got hurt, he'd climb down. Like, oh, no, you got hurt. I'm not doing that. He was smarter. I was tougher. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, he, he, always, he, had, he had to wait to see before he would do. That's not faith. That, I said, that's not faith. Faith is, I don't see it, but God promised it. I'm going to step out. I'm going to step out of the boat and get in the game. You'll never live out your purpose. You'll breathe air till you're 70, 80, and you'll die. Purposeless. 
until you submit to the Lord God and you say, God, I want your will more than my will. I want your will in my marriage. I want your will in my life. I want your will in every part of my being. I want your will, not my will. And it has to be passionate, guys. It can be a quiet passion if you're more reserved or a loud passion like me or like Caden. We'll be loud. You guys can be quiet. That's okay. It takes all of us, but it still has to be a fire in your belly to serve God, to know God, and to see God move in your life. You got to want it. He's not going to force it upon you. I said, you got to want it. He's not going to force it upon you. You have to ask him for it and receive it and understand how much he loves you. Now, the second point, the first one is you have to step out in faith. Here's the second one. You have to have an unwavering belief that God loves you. I'm going to read this passage again. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. His anointed one is Jesus. For nothing in the universe. Everybody say universe. universe. He didn't say earth. He said nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us, not troubles, pressures, and problems. They're un- They're unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder the omnipotent love of God. God renders them helpless compared to his love. Listen, the Bible says faith worketh by. Does anybody know the end of that scripture? No, that's how you get faith. Faith cometh by hearing, but it worketh by love. Love, love. Listen, you have to receive. Those of you who got that wrong, you're, still, you're okay. You're all right. We're learning. So listen, so, so you're still the teacher's pet. I still value you. Okay. God loves you. God loves you. So God says this. You, you can never truly walk in faith until you understand how much he loves you. Because his love empowers you. I said his love empowers you. It gives you confidence. Not arrogance, not pride, but confidence. It gives you confidence. People ask me, Pastor, you ever get nervous uh, before you say, preach? I said, every Sunday, every Wednesday. Every time. Every time I have butterflies. But I think that's a good thing. I, I like pressure. I like to, that, that, that anticipation, that little bit of, of, of butterflies causes me to press in and want to just you know, give my all and give my best. Listen, yeah, but you know what I trust in more than anything else? I trust in God's love for me that he said, I've called you and I've anointed you. And if he's called me and anointed me, I trust it that when I get up here, something good's gonna happen. I trust it. I trust his love when we step out in faith. I trust his love with my wife and my kids. I trust his love with you guys. I trust his love with the church. I just trust he loves me, and there's no he loves me not. It's he loves me, and he loves me, and he loves me. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. No matter how dumb things you do, Troy, no matter how much, what sin you've committed, no matter what you do, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And that doesn't give me permission to sin or do dumb things. What it does is inspires me to do what is right. That he would love me that much, man, it lifts me up, not tears me down. It makes me want to do things right. It makes me not want to sin. It makes me want to do better. It makes me press in, not not fade away. It doesn't give me a license to sin. It gives me a license to overcome sin. And it inspires me. 
It inspires me to dream dreams that people think are impossible. This church was impossible. You're sitting in it now, but for those of us who have been here for a long time, this, this church was, this, these buildings, this church, between the dump and the jail, this was an impossibility. But man, when you trust that God loves you, wow. Things that look impossible, when you know God loves you, they all of a sudden become possible. It inspires your faith. You have to have an unwavering belief in God's love. Listen, his unwavering belief in, in my unwavering belief in his love caused me when I would sin to run to him, not to run away from him. I'd run to him because I knew he loved me. He said, I'm a present help in times of trouble. Man, when I sinned, I'm in trouble. I would run to him. He said, come boldly into my throne of grace. Not my throne of beat you up, my throne of grace. That I say, come on in here. Yeah, I want you to run to me. Because I'm going to free you from the dominion, this, the control of this sin over your life. Keep running. His love caused me to keep running to him. I thought, my thought was, I wasn't even taught this. I wasn't taught what I'm teaching you today. I just, my thought was, if he can forgive me of my sins before I knew him, which were many, and I had no conscience about it, how much more will he forgive me now that I'm his child and I have a conscience? Amen. I'm like... If he forgave me then, he'll forgive me now. I'm doing much better now than I was before. But his love caused me to move forward. And you can ask my wife, my children, his love causes me to dream. Guys, I can't even, I can't tell you all the dreams that he's put in my head for our community, for our city, for your lives, for your children, for this next generation and the generation after that. Man, what we're going to give them, what we're going to put, man, they're going to stand on our, 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 our ceiling's going to be their floor. And I'm telling you, man, guys, I'm thinking about this next generation. I'm thinking about what's coming and what's going to happen and what God's going to do. Not just for me and my house, but for all your houses, all those that love God. God is coming. He's moving. And better get ready. Get on the altar and get ready to roll because he's, he's moving. He's wanting to move. But so many people spend their time trying to find their purpose instead of seeking to know God. Let me tell you, it doesn't work like that. Oh, I got to know my purpose. No, you need to know God. When you know God, he'll give you your purpose. Amen. You can't put purpose and destiny above knowing God. That becomes your God then. And I see people that seek that all the time so frustrated. Even when they're living out part of what God's called them to be, they're unhappy. You can't, you can't make your purpose and your destiny your God. God has to stay God. Seek to know him, and you'll find out you'll get in this flow. It's called the flow of the Spirit. Your life will get in a flow, and you'll just be doing. You'll find yourself doing and living out the purpose of God for your life. Don't put that first. Put God first. He said, if you put my kingdom first, I'll add everything to you. Amen. And not only will you be doing what you're called to do, but you'll be happy doing it. There'll be a joy about it. I said there'll be a joy about it. Amen. Little did I know, oh, Randy and Jamie Petty are here from Clovis. Uh, man, I love Randy and Jamie. We've done so much ministry together in years past. I love them. But Randy and I, we ran the Men of Iron. We, we, we ran the Men of Iron for years. We took it from a small gathering uh, between the leadership of the pastors and our hard work and the other men that helped us. Man, we had a team. We had a great team. Man, we grew this thing up. Now it's forged in over 2,000 men. It keeps growing every year. Amen. But, but it started small. 
It started small with Randy and I knocking on people's doors at 3 in the morning because people were sneaking in and just sleeping. I mean, it was crazy. We were up all night for three straight days. We came back exhausted every time. But it was awesome. It started little. It started, the, the men's meeting in New Mexico started with about 30 guys. Now it's 2,000 men and growing. God always starts with the small. He said, faithful with the little ruler over much. When you're faithful to seek to know God, when you're faithful to step out in faith, when you're faithful to understand God loves me, he loved me when I was no good and his enemy, how much more does he love me as his son and daughter? I'm never gonna run away from him. No matter what happens, I'm running to him. When you get that attitude, you'll begin to see the destiny moments. You'll begin to do what you're called to do. You'll, and then you'll understand it better and it'll bring a joy to your life and you'll get up saying devil you better be scared because I'm up and ready and I'm living for God and I'm putting his kingdom first and when I go to work things are going to happen and people are going to notice they're going to notice there's a touch of God on me they're going to notice at the hospital they're going to notice at the at the office they're going to notice in the construction crew they're going to notice wherever I'm at they're going to notice that your touch is on my life through good and bad they're going to see that my God is with me and that he loves me. And you have to have that unwavering faith, that unwavering faith that he loves you. He's not against you, he's for you. Man, self-doubt will destroy your life. Has anybody ever had self-doubt besides me and said, man, I don't know if I can do it. And man, it leads to so much, all that self-doubting leads to so much insecurity. Listen, it's healthy to have self-doubt. What it's not healthy to do is to have God-doubt. I know I'm not strong enough and capable enough or smart enough to do all this stuff, but I know with God I am. Did you hear what I said? I know with God I am. He makes up for the lack of intelligence, the lack of strength, the lack of whatever I lack. Man, my God makes up more than enough to, to, to cause me to accomplish what he's called me to do. If God be for me, who could be against me? Right? But you have to recognize his love for you and receive it. It drives out self-doubt. It drives out insecurities and fears. Listen, as he's playing, I'm going to give you the third one. We'll do, we'll do the other four next week. But listen to this third one. Go with me to Proverbs 29, 25, because it comes right along with self-doubt. And in the culture we live in today of, the, of so much social media, you know, it's crazy to me. The world's solutions always make the problem worse. Every time they try to solve a problem, it gets worse. They tried to solve the problem of poverty. Poverty's gotten worse, not better. Every time it's the world's way instead of God's way, it gets worse. Every time it's God's way, it gets better. It gets solved. Problems get solved. But go with me to Proverbs 29, 25. And this goes along with, with self-doubt. This goes along with insecurity. The Bible says this in verse 25 of Proverbs 29. Fear and intimidation is a trap. Everybody say a trap. trap. That holds you back. But when you place your confidence in the Lord, you will be seated in high places. What does that mean? It means that when you care more about what others think of you than what God thinks of you, it's a trap. It's a trap. In this day of social media, our, our lives, and especially our young people, are exposed more to what other people think. And people are so concerned about being canceled and being cussed out and disliked and unliked and defaced. And, you know, 
They don't want to snap back at you anymore or whatever the crap may be. Listen, guys, I'm not a huge fan of the, of, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, technology and the stuff that it makes our lives, but I'm not a big fan of this social media nonsense because people have gotten more fearful and more afraid of someone that lives in New York that you'll never see, but they have an opinion about what you look like or what you think or what you say. And you get so caught up. We're so caught up in fear and intimidation. And that fear and intimidation of what others think is what causes the self-doubt and insecurities to rob us of the purpose and destiny that God has for us. God said, put your confidence in him. Let him. He said, let me be your mirror. Let me be your mirror, not the world and what everybody else thinks. Listen, when I meet husbands and wives that care more about what the husband thinks or the wife thinks than what God thinks, I'll show you a relationship that's on the rocks. But you show me a couple that's concerned more about what God thinks, I'll show you a relationship that's on the rise. He said, I'll sit you in high places. When Julie and I got over this, like, you know, she's my idol. I'm, you know, I was her idol, of course. You know, that's obvious. But when... When she laid down that idol, uh, and we, we got more caught up in what God thought than what we thought a marriage should look like and what we should be doing, God's put us on high places. Now we teach on marriage. We couldn't even make a marriage work. But when we got over that, and we started being more concerned about what God said about marriage, how he said it works, what a woman's supposed to do, what a man's supposed to do, oh my goodness, now we get to teach on it. Amen? And so when you get over the fear and intimidation of what others think about you, how they think you're pretty or handsome or this or that or this thing or nothing, when you get over that and you just say, God, I put my confidence in you, 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 de- you determine my value. And man, I had this thought today that, you know, we can look at people and say they're pretty, they're handsome, or they have this or they have that, you know, but beauty is different. Beauty's different to me. Beauty comes from something deeper than skin or the right look or the right height or the right this or that. Beauty comes from in here. That's where beautiful is to me. I said that's where I always thought my wife was pretty. I always thought she was great looking. From the first time I saw her, I thought, "Mm, yeah, that'll work. Don't say it. Don't say it. She's shaking her head like, don't do it. (laughs) I better not say it. Anyway, so I always thought she was good looking. Immediately I thought, oh, this is a good looking girl. So we go out on the day, and I start asking her questions and getting to know her. When I drove home, I didn't say, golly, she has a great figure. Man, she's pretty. What I thought was, not only is she that, but she's beautiful. Because I could see the love of God in her. There was something about her that I'd never dated or been, been around any other girl that was like her that I saw beauty in. And when I look at her, I see beauty. Listen, beautiful is from in here. It's in here. And when you understand how much God loves you, man, you don't, you don't have to get caught up in what everybody else thinks. You care about them, but you don't care about what they think about you. What you care about more is what God thinks about you, what God has to say. 
And when you, when he, then he can start removing all the self-doubt. He can start tearing down the idols that you make of other people, the idols that you make of other, your titles, your money, your this, your that. He'll tear down all those idols. And then he'll just be first. And he said, if you put me first, I'll add everything else to you. You'll discover a purpose in it. You'll get up, man. Life is different. When you know you're getting up every day and you're doing, you're in the will of God and you're doing what God's called you to do and you have a purpose, you're like the ant. You know, ants are just like, they're just everywhere, man. And it looks crazy, but it's orderly. They know what they're doing. Why? They have a purpose. And they're, man, they're relentless. And that's what you'll become. You'll have a purpose and you'll be relentless. You'll be unstoppable. And God will take little OU, put his touch on you, and you'll be one of those unlikely people in an unlikely place. And you'll say, even though, even though my life was like this, but God did this. Amen. And I, I want everybody in our church to be like that. I want every man, woman, and child. I want our children to think, man, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. I want him to drive out the insecurities and fears that held me back so long. And it's holding some of you back. Let his love inspire you to do what's right, to put away sin in your life, and to invite God's goodness into your life. Listen, every eye closed. Don't look around. Don't look at any distractions. But I want you to consider your life. I want you to consider your life. I'm going to say to young people, I mean, usually the most important thing to a young person is what other people think. And, you know, finding a, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, someone that will like them. Man, when you have that mentality, all your insecurities and fears will be, will be worked for a lifetime. You'll end up with the wrong people in the wrong place, doing the wrong things. Nothing will, be, nothing will work out right. It won't be lasting. It won't last. But when you put your faith in God, the relationships that He brings into your life, man, the ones He brings, not you bring, He brings, will last a lifetime. And they won't be perfect, but man, you'll overcome those imperfections. Like some people who write mu music or movies or poetry, some of those imperfections that you know about each other become a source of laughter. They become a source of, of even kind of a joyful thing that you just know this about each other. It's intimacy. I don't know why I said that, but there's some young people who need to hear that. When you put God first, he'll put you first. He'll add the people and relationships you need in your life. You'll be the man that you, that you see. You know, you'll be the hero of your own story. God will, Jesus is a hero. He's a hero. and He'll make us his brothers and sisters, God's sons and daughters. He'll make us the hero in our own story. And it won't be so we can get glory. It'll be for we, us, for we'll give him the glory. It'll be so that we experience the triumph over this life. And even in death, we'll conquer death and be in heaven forever because Jesus conquered it. He conquered sin and death for us. 
We'll live our best lives. People talk about living your best life. You can't live it with self-help. You can't live it with just a positive attitude. You have to have the touch of God. You have to have, you have to submit your life to the Lordship of Christ. Only then can you do that. Only then can you give your life away and stop being so selfish and self selfishness sabotages. It's called it's selfishness, and so it's called self-sabotage. You'll sabotage your own life. Quit it by giving your life away. And watch what God does when you do that. I, didn't, I wouldn't want to be a husband, a father, a pastor, a friend, a brother, a son. I wouldn't want to be any of the titles or labels without the touch of God on all of them. I'm going to ask you, consider your life. Where are you going? Where are you heading? What's it producing? You can experience happiness without Jesus, but happiness is momentary. You can never have joy. That's undefeatable. Without Jesus, you can't have it. But with him, you can have it in bucketfuls. Man, I could just sense it. I, just people right now in the valley of decision. God chose you to be here. He chose you to hear this. He chose you to be online listening and here listening. Now it's your turn to choose. He chose you. What are you going to choose? Are you going to choose heaven or hell? Are you going to choose to be a blessing or a curse? Are you going to choose to try to live your life selfishly for you? Or to give your life away God said if you give your life away to him and to others, he'll give you a life worth living and worth having and worth giving away. A value. But he said if you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. That's what I see this happen all the time. Selfishness drives people to depression, oppression, possession, suicide, defeat, anger, but when you let go and let God, man, he leads you to peaceful waters. He leads you to a place no matter what bad news or what's happening, you have a peace and a joy inside you that no one can take away. Not even the negative circumstances of life. He inspires you to dream and to really live. What do you want? If you've never prayed, God chose this moment to give you an opportunity to choose God's kingdom or this world, to choose God's king, Jesus, or choose Satan, to choose to be a blessing or walk and live and give away the curse, or choose to walk in God's blessings and to give them away. You get to choose to love or to lust, to forgive or to hate, to rise above or fall beneath. He said, if you'll put your confidence in me, in Proverbs 29, 25, we just read, he said, he'll put you in high places. Or you can choose to live in low places. 
your choice. I'm just talking to give, there's just people trying to make a decision right now. And you're thinking about what will they think? What'll, what do they, what will they think? And what will I do now? And what will, listen, God will take care of you. He'll lead you, guide you, and direct you. You just have one choice to make. Not what's going to happen later today or next month or next year. What are you going to do now? This is an eternal heaven and hell question that you have to answer. This is a life worth living or a life just taking. A life living and giving away. Or a life breathing and taking and losing. You get to choose. I, I don't have any more time. I, I want to give you more time, but I don't have any more time. If you have never prayed and you want to pray, we want to pray with you right now. If you've prayed before and you've run away from God and you realize, man, God never stopped loving you. He never stopped believing in you. He's waiting for you to turn. He's omnipotent. He's everywhere all at once. Why is he like that? Because he, he's ready. He's always ready. He's always here. Wherever you are, wherever I am, he's there. He's here. Ready. Ready to help. Ready to love. Ready to save you. Ready to lead and guide and direct you. Ready to teach you and show you. The way, the truth, and the life. He's ready right now. Are you? Come home if you've run away. If you've never prayed, pray now. Allow Jesus to save your life. So if that's you, I'm going to ask either one, the first time or the next time, I'm going to count to three. And online, I want you right now, right now, if that's you and you want to pray with us, I want you to send us a message online right now. I'm praying today. I'm giving my life today for the first time. I'm coming back today, either the first time or back. Put that on there. Just send that to us in this room because you need to acknowledge it publicly. In this room, I'm going to count to three and ask you just to raise your hand up high and say, it's me. I need to pray and get right with God today. And then I'm asking you to put that hand down and right where you're seated, right where you're at online, we're going to pray. Whether you're listening online live or it's next week or next month, however long this sermon's on, it's you. It's you. God is speaking to you. He's trying to save you. He's trying to rescue you. He loves you. He loves us. So if that's you, send it online in this room. One, two, three. Just raise your hand up and say, I'm going to get right with God before I leave here. Thank you. 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 God bless you. Thank you all over this room. Praise God. Listen, let's pray right now. Those online and those here, let's all pray together. Say this together. Say, God, I believe that you are God and God alone. I believe that you love us. So you sent Jesus, not to condemn us, for we were already condemned. You sent him to save us. So he died for my sins on a cross. And you raised him from the dead. I believe that. And he's alive right now. And because I believe that, I say from my heart, out of my mouth, that as of today, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. And I receive the Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of me and teaches me and guides me into all the truth. 
about who you are, God, and who you made me to be. And God, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Remove all shame, guilt, and condemnation. Heal my past so I can go into the future you've prepared for me. I receive all that I've asked because it's all you promised. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, let's thank God for how good he is. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.